Well, church, I, I just got to start today by saying thank you. Uh, I cannot tell you how encouraging it is for me when I look out and I just see this room packed. I mean, there's like hardly an open seat in here. And yeah, thank you guys. You know, we're going to talk today about the things that trouble our heart at times. And one of those things for me is I just have this burden uh, for families in central Indiana. And I see what God is doing through all of you that we're inviting families from our kids' soccer teams and baseball teams. And they're coming here and they're finding Christ and it's changing their marriages and it's changing their homes. And I just have this burden uh, that there are so many people around us who need that. And uh, sometimes that burden can be a little heavy. And then I look out and I see you guys and you're like in it with me and you guys are doing it. I'm just so proud of you guys. I'm so thankful for you guys. And uh, looking out this morning on just a packed parking lot, I'm just like, thank you, Lord, for these amazing people who love you so much. Well, if you're our guest today, we're in a series called Welcome Home. And our desire is to say to you, welcome into the house of God, that God loves you and he's got a place for you in his house. And in this series, we've been learning that God cares about your dream home desires. We've actually been following Jesus in his life through the gospels. He went into people's homes. And we've been learning that Jesus cares about your home, whether you're one of our online viewers. We've got online viewers in Paraguay and Puerto Rico and around the world. He cares about your homes. He cares about our homes here in Indiana. And he cares about your dream home desires. Uh, we tend to think of those as physical walls, what we want our dream house to look like. But he knows that a dream house is just an empty shell without the relationships inside it. He cares about your dream home desires relationally and about your inner home, that you can have a sense of peace and calm wherever you go in life. And, you know, God cares about your home. Today, we're going to look at specifically, he cares about the troubles in your home. And he cares about the troubles in your heart. Because, see, I've learned that when you have a troubled heart, you end up having a troubled home. You could have the, the perfect physical dream home and even the perfect people in there. But if you're troubled in your heart, you're going to end up having a troubled home. I don't know what's been troubling you this last week, but I know it's impossible to have a peaceful home when there's trouble in your heart. I, I got a, a small taste of this Friday night. I had recently gotten new bikes for Jack and Zoe, my oldest two kids. They're 11 and 9. And of course, new for me is almost always used. That's just how I grew up, shopping at Goodwill, and I tend to buy used things. And I love bikes, and I wanted to get them really good bikes, and I thought I could get them a better quality bike if I buy them used bikes. So I found this used bike shop in downtown Indianapolis. Uh, in the past, I've like bought bikes on Craigslist, and then I have to spend half my life tuning them up because they're not in good shape. So I thought, okay, I'm going to find a used bike shop where they've tuned it all up, so I'm getting a used bike. I'm going to feel like I'm getting a good deal. I'm getting them a better bike than if I bought a new one for them, but it'll be all tuned up because I don't have time to sit around tinkering with bikes anymore. Well, it was a great plan until after my first bike ride with Zoe, her back tire went flat, and I was like, oh, come on. We just got this bike. And I thought, well, I'm sure if I take it down there to them, they'll replace it. Because it's got gears on the back. So changing the rear tire is a little more involved than the front one. And I thought, you know, it's half an hour down there. Then I'm going to have to drop it off, drive half an hour back. Then I'll have to go back a couple days later. That's like two hours of driving. I can totally change a bike tire in less than two hours. I did this all the time growing up. 
So I gathered the kids around for a little lesson. <laughs> yeah, totally set myself up for failure there. The inner tube, actually, we got it off, everything. We got the new tube on fine. We inflated it. We got the, the derailleur that changes the gears all set. Everything was just perfect. And then I spun the tire for like the test thing while the bike's upside down, and it wouldn't spin. The brakes, it was rubbing against the brakes. At this point, we're about an hour into this project, and I'm like, oh my goodness. I'm hot. I'm tired. This is the whole reason I bought a bike from a bike shop. And it was one of those moments with my kids where I was just like, oh, I'm so frustrated. And you see their little eyes like, what did we do wrong? And I'm like, you didn't do anything wrong. Dad's an idiot. This bike's an idiot. <laughs> Took me like another hour to like recalibrate the whole rear brake system so that the tire would actually spin properly. And I got so frustrated. I got so troubled in that moment. You know that feeling? <laughs> Can you relate to that feeling? I'm sure all the dads do, and I'm sure the moms do as well, especially if you have a middle schooler and you have to wake them up at like 5.30 a.m. or something. You know, it reminded me of this day as I was kind of reflecting and saying like, Lord, why was I so upset with a bike? It reminded me of this day years ago when my oldest, Jack, he was about three years old. And Jack, when he would wake up as a toddler, especially, he had two speeds, like run and sleep. That was it. There's nothing in the middle. And when Jack would wake up, he had this big plastic car in the backyard that he would push around called a cozy coop. This is what it looks like. And there was this one day, it was the weirdest thing. It's etched in my memory. He woke up and he, he had like slept wrong on his neck. And he was like, I've got a, I don't know if he said crick in my neck or whatever you call it. And, and he, it was just like mentally, he could not get to be his normal self. And it, it was kind of the funniest thing because he got so frustrated. He went in the backyard to push his cozy coop around and the front tires kind of turn awkwardly and they'd get stuck in the sand and he kept falling down. It was the weirdest thing. It was like totally out of character. He was just having a really off day. And I remember him just saying over and over again, I can't do it. I can't do it. He was just so frustrated. And it was one of those days, even though it was years ago, I remember it because aren't there so many times we just feel like that in life? Like we're doing our best. We're pushing the car. We're doing whatever it is we're trying to do in life. And it either just keeps tipping over or people keep changing the rules on us. And we just feel like I can't do it. And we get troubled inside, troubled hearts. You know, as I was praying for wisdom on Saturday, I said, God, why am, why am I so frustrated about a bike on Friday night? Like, what is going on with me? And as I asked God to help me sort through my feelings, I realized, you know, really what I'm frustrated about has nothing to do with a bike. That's uh, probably true for most of us. I don't know what's troubling you this week, and I, I don't want to overwhelm you with my troubles, but one of the things troubling me is knowing that there are Christians in Afghanistan right now. Uh, who, you know, as the Taliban takes over that country, uh, you're not allowed to be a Christian under Taliban Islamic rule. And uh, knowing believers from that part of the world and knowing what, what is happening right now, like yesterday and today, that at the homes of known Christians, guys are showing up with guns. This is not hypothetical. And they're like, if you have a daughter who's over 12, because you're an infidel, she belongs to us. 
and she's going to be forcibly married to one of us and shared among us. And if you have a son because you're an infidel, we're going to take your son and we're going to send him to a re-education camp where he'll learn uh, what we believe and he'll learn to become one of us. And I know that's heavy, but that's just been on my heart this week. And it's like there's nothing I can do about that. There's, there's nothing I can do to help these Christians who are just like you and me. They're our brothers and sisters in Christ. And there's, I'm completely powerless to help them. And I'll see these images. These are people outside the airport there in, in Kabul, Afghanistan, trying to get into the airport. And uh, if you know much about that culture, these guys are all going to be in trouble because they don't have long beards. Uh, and the Taliban, if you don't have a long beard, um, you've got three days to start growing one uh, or, or you're done. Because that's part of how devoted you have to be to their religious system. And, you know, you see this guy with his papers. He's just like hoping, hoping he can get out of that country. Now, I know that's a heavy one, and what's troubling you, you know, might be a little closer to home, but I just wonder if you relate to any of the feelings I'm sharing, where there's just something that's out of your control, and it just, it just troubles you. Uh, it troubles you. I wonder, where is your heart troubled? Maybe it's Afghanistan. Maybe it's here locally. Maybe it's in your family. Maybe it's in yourself. Uh, maybe it's something where you were making progress and you've had a setback or you thought God's plan was one thing and life is just turning out different. And you're thinking, man, Lord, I still love you and I, I want to believe you and trust you, but I just don't, this just doesn't make sense. You ever wonder about this? When your heart is troubled, how can you regain your calm? I mean, what can you do when you can't change the circumstance? Because isn't that our default? It's like, well, I'm just going to fix the problem. If I fix the problem, then I won't be troubled anymore. But you live long enough, and there are these problems that we can't just fix. The cancer or the injustices around the world. And there's certain things, you know, government leaders make different policies we can't control. There's all sorts of things that we can't fix. And we can just get angrier and angrier about it and let that spill out into our households and trouble our kids and trouble everyone around us. Or, or is there some way that we can regain an internal sense of calm. There's some way that you could have a peaceful home even when trouble is boiling and brewing all around in the world. Well, this is exactly the moment that Jesus' followers found themselves in when Jesus told them that he was going to go to the cross and die on the cross for the sins of the world. You see, when Matthew the tax collector and Peter and James and John, when they left their careers and their homes and their families to follow Jesus, they were under the impression that he was bringing a new kingdom, true. They were under the impression that he was the Messiah, true. They were under the impression that in their lives, because they knew the Messiah and he was bringing the kingdom, that their life would just be paved with gold uh, up to the right life, no problems at all, and he's going to set up this kingdom and we're going to rule and reign with him right here, right now. False. And this is this moment where Jesus reveals to them that his path to greatness leads through suffering. His path to glory leads through agony. And their thinking is just about them and their comfort. And he's trying to explain to them, you guys, if I just set up a kingdom right here, right now, that might be good for you, but I've got an even better plan. I'm going to set up a kingdom where everyone who has ever sought God with all their heart will be free from death, 
free from injustice, free from pain, free from agony. And it might not happen as fast as you want or the way you want, but in the end, it's going to be bigger than you could imagine and better than you could dream. But in this moment where he says, my religious enemies, they're going to kill me. And I'm going to raise from the dead, but then I'm going to go to heaven to prepare a place for you. The disciples are just reeling. Their heads are spinning. They're like, we gave up everything. This is not how this was supposed to go. And it's in that moment that Jesus says this to them in John 14. They're deeply troubled. They're feeling what you feel wherever you're troubled, but probably, you know, times a thousand. I mean, this, they've given up everything for this. And now it just looks like it's falling apart. It's definitely not going the way they thought it would. And Jesus says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Now, he doesn't say, don't feel afraid, don't feel anxious, don't feel let down. God will never command you to not feel those things. You're human. And so were the disciples. I traced this word troubled, and you know what I found? The other time it's used to describe the disciples is that story that maybe you've heard where they were out on the sea, and the waves came up, and there was a storm. And the waves were crashing over the sides of the boat, coming, the water's coming into the boat, and they're convinced that they're going to drown. And they start to panic, and they're deeply troubled. Same Greek word. And if you have heard that story before, it's this miraculous story where Jesus proves to them that he's not just a prophet, that he's almighty God, because Jesus speaks to the waves and the wind, and the weather obeys him. The climate obeys him with just a word. And they all realize, wow, you're God. Now Jesus uses the exact same word to say, don't let your hearts be troubled. Remember? Remember how I can control the weather? Remember how I can do things that you wouldn't even fathom that I can do? Don't let the trouble crash over the side and drown you. There will be waves in life. There will be trouble in life. But it's up to you to say, I'm not going to let those waves fill my heart up and and sink me. Even in the waves, I'm going to trust in God. I mean, think of, for the disciples, Jesus says, don't let your hearts be troubled. That word triggers. They remember all that. Trust in God. Trust also in me. I'm God. I have a plan. You've seen that I'm God over the physical storms. Now trust that I'm God over the storms in life. And even if you have to endure the waves beating against the side of you for a little bit, I have a plan. And then he says this, in my father's house. That's the word we've been studying in this series. Oikia, my father's home. You see, you have a dream home. Your creator in heaven has a dream home. And did you know he has a place for you? In his dream home. In fact this word room. Some of the older translations say mansions. Because it's one of those words. That uh, hardly appears in the New Testament. But in other ancient literature. Of this language. It's used of Herod's palace. If you want to picture a perfect. Master planned community of palaces. The other thing that this word. uh, Rooms means is comfort. So I don't know what room in your house. Like maybe it's your family room. Or your den where you're most comfortable or your bedroom, like that room where you can just like you get in your comfy clothes or your pajamas or whatever you call them and you just relax. Maybe you've got a a certain chair there. That's the idea of this this word. It carries the comfort and the palace idea. And, And the point is this. 
your creator, the reason you have dream home desires is because you're made in his image. And he has a dream home that has a, a lot for you, a place for you, a custom home for you where there's ultimate comfort. And Jesus is saying to the disciples, in your storm, I'm still God. And in your storm, the future is better than what you're wishing I would change right now. And then he says this, I'm going there to prepare a place for you. So in your storm, you might feel abandoned or you might feel disappointed. You might feel like, God, why aren't you solving this problem? It's so simple. It's such an easy solution. I mean, I can see it, Lord. Why aren't you doing it? When you feel that frustration, he hasn't forgotten you. He hasn't abandoned you. In fact, I'd like to say to you today, don't mistake invisible activity for inactivity. Think about that. Don't mistake invisible activity. God is working in ways you can't see for inactivity. Well, I don't see him working, so he must not be working. That's exactly where the disciples are. They don't understand. Jesus is about to take upon him the sins of the world in a way that provides for not just Jewish people like them, but people of every race and nationality to come into the kingdom of God and be in the Father's house. They don't even, they can't see all that. They don't understand all that. And Jesus says in verse three, if I go and prepare this place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me. Just like every parent or grandparent thinks, well, my dream home would be empty without my kids or my grandkids in it. That's how your creator feels about you. And you might feel like, well, where are you now? Jesus says, I'm going to prepare this place. I will return for you so that you may also be where I am. And the disciples, they kind of say, well, how do we know for sure that we're going to be in this place with you? I mean, we believe you, Jesus, but this is all new. How do we know for sure? And that's where Jesus says, in verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father, the Father's house, heaven, except through me. And this is where Jesus, while he is uh, unusually compassionate and patient and kind and gentle, uh, especially for religious teachers in this culture at this time, he's still dogmatically clear that there's only one way into heaven. There's not many roads that lead to heaven. There's one. It's Jesus. Now that one is open to all people. All a person has to do is have the humility to say, God, I believe I'm broken and I need you. Jesus, I believe you are the way, the truth, and the life. And then in verse 15, he's going to continue talking to the disciples. He's given them a future hope. Now he's going to give them a present promise. And here's what he says. If you love me. You'll obey what I command, and I'll ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor. That's a capital C, because this is referring to the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, who sometimes is called the Comforter. And Jesus more or less says, uh, you guys know that God exists in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I've been with you, the Son. When I go to the Father's house to prepare your place for you, I'm going to leave my spirit within you. And when you're in touch with my spirit, it will give you comfort even in your trouble, even in your tribulation. And that's why he continues and he says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. 
I do not give to you as the world gives. In other words, from the time we're born, we are conditioned that peace comes from the outside in. Right? I'm an infant and I'm hungry. What do I do? I cry and mom comes and helps me. In my whole life, if I need peace, I look around me. What can I change in my circumstances? How can I feed myself? Peace is always coming from the outside in. And Jesus says, now, disciples, you've walked with me for three years. I'm going to start to stretch your faith. I'm going to start to grow you. I'm like a high school football coach or an Olympic athletic coach. You're a good runner. I'm going to grow you. You've walked with me. You believe in me, but I've been giving you peace from the outside in all this time. Now it's time to grow up spiritually and start living the profound life of Jesus where the peace comes from the inside out. And as a result, you can be in the middle of trouble. You can be in the middle of tribulation and the peace is flowing out from you and you don't need the peace around you. And then look at this. Uh, as a writer, this is a literary structure. Remember verse 1 of the chapter. Now he's in verse 27. Exact same sentence. He bookends it, right? Do not let your hearts be troubled. I know you're feeling troubled. I know the waves are beating up against you. But trust my future promises. Trust my present peace within you through the Holy Spirit. You know, when we go through pain, it's only natural for us to say, make it stop. Uh, and God will make it stop. There will be a day when Christ returns or when we wake up in our father's house and all the pain will have stopped. And scripture even says clearly of that day, he will wipe away the last tear from our eye. There will be a time where you cry your last tear and God will wipe it away and there will be no more pain. There will be no more death. There will be no more suffering. But I just want you to think of this. We say, make it stop. God says, make it through. And I think of this because with these new bicycles that I've bought for my kids, my youngest, she's not quite off of training wheels. Uh, and the other day I was working with her and she was so overcome with the anxiety and fear of falling over that she just couldn't do it anymore. And it was okay. I just got to give it some time. You know what she's saying? Make it stop. You know what I'm saying? Make it through. If you will push through that fear, you know, we got a trip planned. I want you to go riding on the bike trails with me and your brother and sisters. Like, I have so many plans for you. She's just saying, make it stop. I'm saying, make it through because I love her because I've got plans for her. Now I'm patient. I'm kind. I'm not like, make it through, you know. We'll give it a few, you know, a few days and we'll come back to it. And we'll try again. This life until we get to heaven is, is make it through. And I know sometimes your spirit is just crying out, make it stop. But God whispers to you, make it through. Don't give up. I'm with you. I've got a plan for you. Wherever there's trouble in your heart today, Jesus offers you peace. Right in the midst of today's troubles. There's peace for you today. Now, we'll see as we unpack this, you know, if, if I'm looking on Facebook for my peace, I'm not going to get it there. If I'm calling and talking and texting everyone I know who's also upset about the same thing, I'm not going to find peace there. I'm just inviting more waves into the boat. Peace comes through the peacemaker, the Holy Spirit. And when's the last time in your trouble that you actually said, God, I trust in you. 
And I believe you've given me your Holy Spirit to carry me through moments like this. Holy Spirit, would you be my comforter? Would you be the peacemaker inside of me? Because there's no peace around me for me to draw on. Not only that, he offers you a perfect future. Not just a better future. Not just a little bit of resolution. The, you know, usually what we want, we're like, you know, give me the healing from the cancer or give me this change. And those are not bad things. And we should pray for those things and we should ask for those things. But we're a little bit short-sighted because even if we get those things, our life expectancy is still, you know, 78 or 79 years. And we still live in a world that's so deeply broken. And he just says, like he said to the disciples, my kingdom might not be uh, as fast as you wanted it to be. Or as immediately you focused as you wanted it to be. But it's going to be bigger and better and for a lot more people. And I've left you here because I have a role for you to play. Earlier, I told you this story about my son, Jack, getting so frustrated that morning. I think one of the reasons it's etched into my memory is you have times as a parent where your voice has so much power in your kids' lives, for good or for bad, by the way, what you tell them about themselves. So don't tell them, you know, bad things about themselves, please. Be honest with them, but let them know you're made in the image of God. Uh, God has crafted you. He has a plan for you. And I think the reason I remember this day when Jack was young and he was so frustrated and he just said, I, you know, I can't do this. And he was so, he was so angry. It was kind of cute because he's so little at the time. And it was one of those times as a dad that I just said, Jack, you can do this. I know your neck feels weird. I know you didn't sleep right, but you can do this. And I just had to say it over and over to him. Like, you can do this. And if you're anything like me, there's a lot of times that I'm like, well, that was a real profound word. And it just bounces off my kids like, you know, rubber bullets off of steel. They're like, I don't care, dad. But it was one of those like one in a thousand times where it got through. And I, I'll never forget it. Little guy, all hunched over, all discouraged. He stood up. It's like, I can do this. Totally changed. Exact same kid. Just heard his father's voice. Threw his shoulders back. Stood up. He starts pushing his car around the yard like every other day, my voice changed his outlook on life. You know, your father wants you to listen in the same way. He wants to change your outlook on life. And I just want to encourage you today with this. In the midst of trouble, choose God. When it hurts, choose God. When you're confused, choose God. When people in positions of power let you down, Choose God. When you don't get your way, choose God. When you're frustrated, when you're seeing injustice in the world, when you're staring down pure evil, choose God. I'm going to give you a few reasons today why you can trust God. And the first is this. You are loved by God even in the midst of your troubles. And I think we've covered this but I just want you to know today that your trouble doesn't mean God has abandoned you and it doesn't mean he's against you. In fact, in the book of Psalms, we're told that God is near to the brokenhearted and he upholds those who are crushed in spirit. So when, when you're troubled, he's close. He's near. He longs to help. 
The book of 1 Peter was written to Christians a lot like those Christians who are living in Afghanistan right now and Christians in Syria and in Iraq and in Iran, um, millions of Christians today who live under that kind of persecution. And that was true back with Jesus' early followers. And do you know what uh, the Holy Spirit said to them in the book of 1 Peter? After you have suffered a little while, I will restore you. I will relieve you. In other words, I'm not going to make it stop immediately, but you're going to make it through and you're going to be refined. And it's, in the end, you're going to look back and you're going to say it was worth going through those fearful things. Scripture also says that God knows our frames that we're made out of dust. In other words, he knows our limitations. When you feel like, I just, I can't do it anymore. I can't take anymore. I love that promise in Isaiah that even the young, strong people grow weary and stumble. and They fall down. But those who wait on the Lord, those who trust in the Lord, those who say, God, um, I'm giving it everything I got and all I can do is fall down because I'm just, I'm so out of any strength in myself. Those who wait in the Lord will renew their strength. Second thing you need to know to calm your troubled heart is that your present agony is not your ultimate destiny. I think we captured that in that analogy of learning to ride the bike. And I look at my youngest, and for her, the thought of falling over on the pavement and skinning her knee is an overwhelming, defeating thought. And for her, it's just this, like, this anxiety. But as she learns to someday do that, it's going to be worth it. And you need to know that what you're going through pales in comparison to what you're going to. Jesus told the disciples, you're going to have to go through this pain. It's so interesting when you read John 14. You think, okay, the disciples, their hearts are troubled. What's Jesus going to say to them? Hey, guys, don't worry. I'm just going to make it so you never have to go through any pain. That is not what he says. He says, don't worry. I'm going to give you peace in it, and it's going to be worth it because what you're going to is more important than what you're going through. You can trust God in your pain. You can trust God when you're present is troubling. You can trust God even when your future looks impossible. And I was challenged by that this week as I was praying for our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan. I was watching about a 20-minute video that you can look up on your own. The logo will be up here of a pastor in Afghanistan. And I want to show you just about a minute of him. This is after he's described our Christian brothers and sisters know the Taliban are coming for their daughters. They're coming for their sons. Uh, his face is blacked out. That might seem weird to you, but that is for his safety because this is a life or death kind of thing. Uh, this is a group of people that now controls a, a government and a country who wants to kill him. But listen to his faith in the midst of trouble uh, as he says, I'm going to keep believing in God. Go ahead and take a look. So we believe in God, and we believe that as Christians, we know there is persecution. Every Muslim background believer like myself that, that convert to Christianity, he knows the consequences of their conversion. Islam is very clear. Quran is very clear. Hadith is very clear. For the apostasy, it's, it's death. They give three days after that. It's death if they don't repent. And there is no mercy on these people. And then the other part of that is just... The Quran clearly talks about Jews and Christians, enemies of Islam. And there is also the hypocrites, which is the converts that are kind of standing in their side. 
So they don't see us as we see ourselves in the kingdom of God, brothers and sisters from all over the world, every tribe and nation. Definitely prayers is the number one thing because God has a purpose, has a plan. He knows what is best for his children in Afghanistan. You know, I watched that and some of the troubles that had been on my heart earlier in the week kind of got put into perspective. And when you read the New Testament, you know, those early Christians, they lived in an environment like this. Many of them. In fact, 11 of these, uh, uh, more than 10 actually, of these disciples of Jesus are going to give their lives for Jesus. And if we had a limited short-term view of just what we're experiencing right now is everything, we would think, well, then, you know, why is it worth it? I mean, it's baptism Sunday, John. Are you saying like, hey, join the club. You're going to be persecuted and you might be killed for your faith. That is something that we're willing to go through as followers of Jesus because we believe what he says. That, that while his salvation brings great benefits in this life, freedom from sin, it's way bigger than this life. And just like the disciples, I know that's probably stretching your faith. You're like, well, I, I, I don't know about that. As I was praying for our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan, I called up our uh, staff member here. We have 26 missionaries we support around the world. And we've got a guy on staff, Teddy, who really oversees that operation and sends out our short-term mission trips and works with those 26 missionary partners. Um, we've got two who work in Muslim countries that uh, are near Afghanistan. And um, I called Teddy and I said, Teddy, I know we can't like send money because, I mean, literally the country's in chaos. And even if the Christians got money, you know, it's not, it's, it, we can't do that. What can we do? And it was incredible because he said, John, through the church's faithfulness, we're already there. I had no idea. So we're already there. There's a missionary that we sent out from this church within the last two years who works with refugees. He was working with refugees from Syria but now, you see, in the months leading up to this, a lot of the Christians in Afghanistan, they, they kind of had a sense of how this would play out. And many of them have already fled the country. And you guys, I kid you not, a missionary who we trained, who we sent out, who we support every month, he's already there in an adjoining country, and he's already got 29 Afghan Christians with him. I mean, just think about that. I was like, how, how can we do anything? Here, here's a picture of three of them. And this is so cool. This missionary, he communicated to us. Uh, this is, there's actually a little uh, lake or sea here. And this is three Afghan believers who fled from Afghanistan who had just done a Bible study with our missionary from Luke 15. Uh, who they are leading other Afghan refugees who aren't yet Christians, who are so confused about what to believe about God right now. They're leading other refugees to the Lord. God's at work in the midst of chaos. He's at work in the midst of evil. And just like he said to Joseph in the Old Testament, what Satan means for evil, God turns for good when faithful people serve as the faithful presence of a perfect God who can take evil and turn it around. You know, in early Christianity, Rome, which if you go to Rome today, it's covered in churches. Rome hated Christians. Uh, in fact, this is what they would do to Christians. 
Uh, these Colosseums, the ruins of them still exist, and it is well documented, not only in Christian literature, but in all the secular historians, that Christians were hated by the Roman government, and they would be forced into these Colosseums, at times fed to lions, at times to battle to the death against gladiators. This was just entertainment for the Romans. That's how perverse and evil it was. And I know there's times where you look at the world and you think it's so perverse, it's so evil. Is there any hope? You think of these Christians living through that, thinking, is there any hope? You know, after a few generations of Christians saying, this isn't what we want, but we're willing to follow Jesus even to our death because he has gone to prepare a place for us. Do you know what happened after a few generations? There was a young woman who was Roman. And you'd think the Christians would hate the Romans, right? Just like you'd think the Christians would hate the Muslims today, but we don't. Because our leader says to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And so we pray for them. And, and we tell them the good news of Jesus because he died for them as well on the cross. And these Christians in Rome would do the same thing. And there was this young Roman woman and they loved her to Jesus. Well, eventually she would get married and become the mother of a little boy who would grow up to become the emperor of Rome. And this is all part of world history and church history, that when her son, who grew up seeing a loving mother who was a Christian, became the emperor, he said, why in the world are we killing these people? These are the kindest, gentlest, most helpful, forgiving people I've ever experienced. And he turned the entire government around and said, we're no longer going to allow the persecution of Christians. In fact, we're going to build churches in Rome, and some of those churches are still there today. God used believers who were willing to not make it stop, but make it through. He used them to change the course of human history. It was from that emperor that Christianity would then explode around the world to become the largest ideology, the most subscribed to belief in all of human history, that today one out of three people in the world identifies as Christian and it wouldn't have happened without the Christians who were willing to go through what they had to go through. And I tell you all of that because here's the second missionary that you're already supporting through your faithful giving. Uh, we have a missionary. I wish I could show you their names and faces and say the countries, but it's for their safety that we don't do that. Uh, but we have a missionary who works as essentially a, a teacher at the college level. Now, it's Muslim culture, so it's not co colleges were created by Christians, so they handle that a little bit differently. But uh, this guy, if you imagine the Ivy League colleges here where all the, you know, the richest people want to send their kids, the Muslim world has the same thing. And there's a missionary today who you support, who we sent out from here, uh, who meets daily with the sons of the Taliban. Because while the Taliban are busy in Syria and ISIS is busy in Syria and in Afghanistan, they're sending their rich, privileged kids off to these Ivy League equivalent schools. And you all have a missionary who you support who's right there teaching them uh, different practices. I won't say specifically which ones, non-religious things, and then is able to have conversations with them afterwards. Uh, in fact, one of them... Um, is in a country where you're not allowed to talk about God with a Westerner. And a police officer came up to one of these students and said, uh, what are you guys talking about? And the student said, my dad is so-and-so, a Taliban leader. And the police officer said, oh, I'm sorry. Sorry for interrupting you. Think about this. 
Just like how God worked 1,800 years ago, God is working now. He overcomes evil with good. What does God say in the book of Revelation to the Christians who endure trouble out of faith? He says they overcame by the blood of the lamb and the word of God. We stay true to what Jesus has done. We stay true to his promises. And we have no idea how big he's going to use us. Now, I know for some of you, you're like, wow, John, I was not expecting all of this in church today. Let me, let me give you a, a, an example that maybe we can relate to a little bit more. I think we all know the frustration of being stuck in traffic, bumper to bumper traffic. I hate it. I mean, it, it, I describe being frustrated about the bike tire change and the brake caliper not working right. This is even worse. When you're just stuck and you're not even moving. And, you know, every winter we go down for about a week to Florida. And inevitably somewhere on that journey, this will happen. And uh, do you know how I get through it? When I'm sitting there and uh, one, I usually put on an audiobook so that I'm not hearing the kids. That helps. <laughs> Little dad tip there, pro tip. But then when the traffic's just not moving at all and all I see is brake lights, I just visualize where we're going. You know, I, I know the, the beach that we will get to. Uh, that's Jack and Zoe walking on it. And I, you know, once we get there and I see them running around, playing in the water, it's like, you know what, what I have to go through is totally worth it for what I'm going to. And it, uh, it is kind of um, entry-level Christianity that says, I know Jesus, so my problems go away. It is a growing, mature Christianity that says, I know Jesus, so I'm willing to go through things that I would never choose to go through because I trust his promises of what I'm going to. Promise number three for you, the resolution you long for is guaranteed in Christ. So while this promise is, hey, what you're going to is worth it, I just, I want you to think whatever it is that is troubling you today, that will be resolved. I mean, the disciples were like, Jesus, you said we're going to serve with you in your kingdom and we're going to rule and reign. That is true. Not the way they thought, not when they thought, but actually much bigger. Every tribe, tongue, and nation will someday be bowing before the throne of Jesus and saying, you are almighty God. And those disciples are going to be right there at his right hand. It's going to be a lot bigger than the city of Jerusalem. It's going to be a lot bigger than just their Jewish families. It's going to be every human soul from all of history. I'll give you one more thing, and then I'm going to kind of skip to the end here. I just want to ask you, you know, what troubles you right now? And is it something from your past or something from your present or something about the future that's uncertain. Depending on your personality and the trouble, it could be any one of those three. And I just want to give you this visual for past, present, future. Because you see, Jesus was with the disciples, but he says, you know, this season where I'm walking with you is going gonna, is gonna to be in your past for a little while. And I'm going to leave you my Holy Spirit in the present. And in the future, my Father's house is waiting for you, and it's so much better than you can even imagine. It is worth it. And I just want to encourage you with this. Um, I mean, maybe even take a picture of this, or just if you're someone where the trouble is from the past, things people have done to you in the past, you just can't let them go, or mistakes you've made in the past, you need to look to the cross. Look further back in time to the cross. 
that mistake you made or those injustices that others have done to you, they are resolved at the cross. You don't see the resolution yet, maybe, but they are resolved. Is it the present that's troubling you? Then take Jesus up on this promise. I give you my Holy Spirit. He will give you comfort and peace if you look to him, if you ask him to be that. But if you're in the present and you're not looking to the Holy Spirit and you're looking instead to your trouble, in fact, maybe you're um, kind of chewing on the trouble and you're, letting, you're inviting the waves into your boat, you're going to kind of be sunk by that trouble. But instead, look to the Holy Spirit in your trouble. If it's something about tomorrow or the future that you're just like, man, this does not look good. I don't know how this is going to play out. Maybe my body's not going to get healed or maybe this situation isn't going to get solved. I want to challenge you as a believer, look further. Stretch your time horizon. Look past that thing. Even if it goes worst case scenario in this life, this life is not the end. So I, I hope this is a helpful, just like simple past, present, future summary of what Jesus describes here. Well, my uh, last thing I want to say, I'm going to skip ahead to the book of Ephesians. And we'll close with this because um, Paul the Apostle is writing to us as believers in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 17. And I love it because it's one of these passages. It kind of says the same thing we just read in the Gospel of John. And listen to this. Jesus came and he preached peace to you. Peace to all of us who were far away from God and peace to those who were near to God. For through Jesus, we both have access to the Father and to the Father's house and then to the Spirit. As a result of this, verse 19, you are no longer foreigners and strangers in God's house. Instead, you're fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. That's our word we've been studying, God's oikia, God's house, God's home, God's dream home. If you've trusted in Jesus, you're a member of his home. This is the same home where Jesus said, in my father's house are many mansions or many rooms. And so I just want to end today by asking you this. Do you know for sure that you're part of God's house? Do you know for sure that these promises apply to you? Because in this world, you're going to go through hard stuff whether you have these promises or not. But when you face death, when you face cancer, when you face injustice, if you don't have these promises, what else do you have? Then my heart for you today is that you would know for sure that you've placed your faith in Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life. That you know for sure that you do have a lot reserved in the master-planned community of your Father's house, heaven. And that you know for sure that God will work all things together for the good of those who are called according to his purpose, those who love him. That's us who've trusted in Christ. When you know that, then you have the Holy Spirit in you to carry you through. And even when you're saying, make it stop, you can make it through. We pray that for you today. Father, in this place, Lord, we uh, have many troubles because this world has many troubles. There are many waves that beat up against us. And Jesus, just as that time when literally the waves were crashing around your disciples and they thought they were going to drown and you invaded and you interrupted and you said, peace, be still. We invite you to speak that to our souls today. 
Holy Spirit, you are a comforter and a counselor. And we just, we repent that we have not been looking to you to give us peace. We've been looking to our circumstances and no wonder we're tossed around by the waves. And so, Lord, today uh, we're just gonna correct that. We're gonna stop fixating on the things we can't control. We're gonna fixate on the one who lives within us, who makes us whole, the comforter, the counselor. Holy Spirit, I just, uh, we just wanna fan you into flame in our lives. Give us peace and let that peace overflow into our homes. Let that peace overflow from this church into this community. And Lord, as our missionaries are doing, let this peace overflow through our people into the turbulent parts of the world. God, right now, I just pray for anyone who doesn't have this promise. They don't know for sure that they're a member of your household, that today would be their day of salvation, that they would believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, it is Baptism Sunday, and uh, if you've been in church for a while, this is not a typical Baptism Sunday sermon, but I trust the Spirit of God when He leads me, and I know that there's someone here today where you've never definitively said, Jesus is my Lord, uh, and you have an opportunity to do that today. So uh, why don't we all stand together? And if you are trusting in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, He says this, you are saved by his work on the cross, not by you doing good deeds. However, after you've believed that, you physically show that belief by getting baptized. So if you've never been baptized as your own choice, not your parents' choice or your girlfriend's choice, but your choice, if you've never been baptized, uh, you can do that today. God commands you to do that. At some point, you need to do that. And so uh, if you've never been baptized and you want to, make your way over to that exit sign. We've got a team over there to help you. Uh, we're gonna have a number of people, I believe, who are already scheduled to be baptized. And I just wanna say, church family, I know this was a heavy message. Uh, let the Spirit of God speak to you. But when we see these new believers declaring their faith in Christ, let's just party, let's celebrate. We're welcoming them into the household of God.